0: Okay, this is um, the second of a series on uh, the uh, workshop on Christology. And last time we talked about the, such how the Arian controversy, the idea that the doctrines of Arius which were trying to show that Christ was not divine, how that led <coughs> to the construction of another, another heresy, but trying to avoid Arianism. So Arius was pointing to the human weaknesses of Christ and saying, well, therefore... Christ must not be divine if he's suffering and he's uh, hungry and tired. So uh, there were some uh, bishops who came up with an alternative to this by saying, "Well, the person who is was uh, weak and was hungry and tired and died, suffered. That was a different person than the Son of God, and that the Son of God is divine. But this other person was is human, and therefore he had all these sufferings. But that those so those Human sufferings of the Son of Mary don't affect the Son of God because it's it's a separate person who's just kind of um, conjoined or to to the Son of Mary. This um, this type of theology we, we uh, started by Theodore of Tarsus, later Theodore Mopsuestia, and was inherited by Nestorius, who became the Patriarch of Constantinople. So it was in order to escape. From the attacks of Arianism, the attack on the divinity of Christ, the, these these people constructed an, uh, essentially a Christology in which you end up with a Jesus who is not the same person as the Son of God. Yes.
1: Is there a universal presupposition then that deity cannot suffer?
0: Is that the big problem that we're that, that was the that was the problem. Like yes. Everyone just assumes deity can't suffer. Right. Yeah, and and the other side of this was that uh, well, the, the philosophical problem they had was that not only deity can't suffer, but they they then said well that the divine person cannot suffer, and other so therefore if Christ is suffering, well then he must not be divine. So in order to so in order to escape from that we end up with this two-person Christology. It's, it was kind of a uh, A sort of educated philosophical type of of thinking and so Nestorius and the people who were doing this I mean they were not just uh, foolish people but they were bishops trying trying to come up with a philosophical solution to the problem of Arianism and so when Nestorius arrived in Constantinople and found the people there saying that Mary was the mother of God his response was to think well these people are just ignorant they don't realize that the person born of Mary is not the same person who is the Son of God. So that's why he wanted to have that formula changed, and ultimately one of his bishops uh, condemned the formula as uh, heretical. But the, the formula he suggested in place was uh, was Christ, that Mary was the Christotokos, or the, the one who gave birth to Christ, instead of the one who gave birth to the Logos, or to the, to God. Yes, yes.
1: Can you give uh, me an example of a modern day uh, Arianism?
0: Oh, modern day Arianism? Well, I would say a lot of liberal Christianity is Arian, although it's probably, I mean, Arius at least uh, believed that Christ was a kind of, some kind of divine being. So. Modern-day Arians probably are not <laughs> not as pious as Arius was. You know, they're probably just thinking he's a human being, who, has in some inspiration, perhaps. But uh, oh, Arius thought he was something, you know, but just just not fully divine. Okay, um, if you, go, I, I'm starting on this uh, this page here, which I, see on yours, they're they're all just kind of. Um, if you look to the top of your sheet, there. That's Nestorius, and then we kind of just went over a little bit where we kind of ended up last time that he became the bishop and started attacking people, and this led to some council, the Council of Ephesus, which is the third ecumenical council. If you go down to the section right below that, it's called Cyril, Second Letter to Nestorius. Uh, Cyril of Alexandria. Is a saint of the church, so he's not uh, Nestorius is a heretic, but Cyril's one of ours. So he wrote a letter to Nestorius trying to correct uh, the problems that he saw there. And there, said, so we affirm that the logos united to himself uh, according to hypothesis. Okay, logo, logos is the Greek word for word, and it's the word that. Um, and I use it in Greek here just to kind of specify. This is the word that Cyril and the Fathers like to use, particularly to refer to the second person of the Trinity. And the reason they did this is because in Nestorian uh, terminology, they would often say that Jesus was the Son of God by honor, sort of because he was connected to the son, to the divine Son of God. So he's the Son of Mary, but we can call him the Son of God because he, they're somehow united together and so in order to be very specific about who we're talking about Cyril talks about the logos whos because the logos the divine logos this is the eternal second person of the Trinity and there's not it's not uh, it's not some honorary title for a separate person and so the, the problem that uh, so the story is this problem the reason why Cyril is it a uh, Writing to him and why there's a church council, is that if you, if you divide the Son of Mary from the Son of God, uh, you're no longer Christian. You see, that's the problem because you no longer have who's the person uh, who's bringing about our salvation. So what Nestorius and his predecessors had done was they had figured out a clever philosophical way of avoiding the arguments of Arius and the pagans, but in f- in doing that they actually had created a christianity that was not really christian anymore because the son of god was no longer the person bringing about our salvation so what Cyril is writing here is he's he's trying to um, come up with a way of, of explaining how the person who is doing all this is this can be the divine son of god the eternal son of god yet at the same time that this is that the you're not uh, blaspheming against his divinity because he's also become man. That's what that's what he's trying to accomplish in this letter. So this, um, for those who were here last time, I apologize because this is where we ended on this letter. So I'll just i will repeat a little bit. But okay, we affirm in his letter to Nestorius, we affirm that the Logos united to himself according to hypostasis. Now hypostasis, this is a, a Greek word, and it's the word that the Church Fathers used, uh, particularly to mean person. There's also uh, Another word called prosopon, but prosopon has this sense of an outward appearance of a person. And Eustathius uh, would like to say that okay, there's one Christ is one prosopon, but to him that that outward appearance of a person was was uh, shield hiding in a sense two people, two two metaphysical people, the, the Son of God and the, this human Son of Mary, in in a single appearance. So that's why Cyril uses the term hypostasis, which is the term that the fathers had used for the three persons of the Trinity. So when we talk about the Trinity, uh, we say, well, one divine nature and th- with three persons. The three persons in Greek are th- the three hypostases. So it's, a, it's, it's a particular word as that they used instead of prosopon because they wanted to emphasize the kind of eternality and, and kind of... Um, spiritual reality of the persons of the Trinity, and so he uses the same term here, that he's talking about kind of a real person, not just an appearance of a person. So that Logos united himself, according to Hypostasis, flesh ensouled with a rational soul and became man. And for those uh, here, last time you would remember perhaps Apollinaris, whose idea His uh, attempt to solve this problem of the of the two-person Christology was to say that Christ, uh, that the Son of God replaced the human soul in Christ, which was condemned as a heresy. So Cyril was condemned of following. I mean, was criticized as if he was following the errors of Apollinaris. But in fact, um, he's not, and he's and he's so he's trying to make that clear by saying that he's talking about. Incarnation into the full humanity, so it's not just in, you know not just Christ, not just the Son of God inhabiting a body, but rather taking on the same humanity that we have. So he says it's a flesh and soul with a rational soul and became man, and was called the Son of Man, not by mere favor or goodwill, okay, nor as in the assumption of mere appearance, and that word prosopon, that other word for person. And that on the one hand, the natures that came together to form a true unity are different, but from them is one Christ and Son, not that the differences are taken away through the union. So he's here specifying that, you know, he's not saying that there's no humanity, that, this, that the full humanity is there, but it's a humanity taken on by um, this, the Logos, this, this divine Son, uh, to be his own humanity. And so you have this, this unity of, of subject. Thus it is said that he was born and existed before the ages from the Father and was born according to the flesh from a woman. And uh, as I mentioned last time, this, this becomes one of the key uh, formulas that the church uses to distinguish uh, an orthodox understanding of Christ is that we're talking not about two people being born. So, so uh, the earlier... The predecessors of the story is like to say, compare the son of Mary versus the son of the son of God. He says here it's not two two sons, but two births. So one person being born twice. Um, so the, he, the Logos, is born eternally from the Father, and then he is born again in flesh from Mary. So he's the subject of of something that's divine and something that's human and so he's kind of completely turning around the way that uh, the the pre-Nestorian and and Nestorius were looking at it chapter 5 thus uh, these are just little snips from his letter Uh, thus we we say he suffered and resurrected not as if God the Logos suffered blows piercing of nails or other wounds in his own nature for divinity is impassable because it is also bodiless, but since what became his own body suffered these things, again he is said to suffer himself on our behalf for the impassible one suffered in the body. And again, this was something this is the, a big uh, issue is the from the historians side and even to today saying that well it's it's impious to say that that a divine. Divine. Well, we all agree. Divine nature in itself does not suffer, but but they would say, well, it's impious to say that a divine person could suffer. So therefore, the Son of God can't be the one suffering on the cross. And what Nestorius is saying, I mean, what Cyril is saying is that, well, yes, it is. He is the one who's suffering on the cross. So, so he's not in his own not in his own nature, but in the in our nature, which he took on himself. So he's the one. This is the to Cyril. This is the central point. Of uh, both the early the controversy about the term Theotokos and the and the controversy now is uh, over the passability of the Son or the ability to suffer is that the who is the person doing all this who is the person being born who is the person dying and, and rising it has to be the Son of God Himself and not some other person that's. Yes.
1: Uh, just from a practical standpoint, you know, when, when we think of Bible verses like just simple ones like mm-hmm. John three sixteen, yes. when we talk about this is uh, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, mm-hmm. so whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Yeah. Who would an historian say is the Son there?
0: Mm-hmm. Who
1: are we to believe in? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in ter- because it's talking about Son and subject and, 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 and they would, object of faith. And yeah, like that.
0: they would probably say that you know it's the it's the second person of the Trinity, but they would see him as coming down and um, being conjoined with the Son of Mary to you know bring help him bring about uh, go through all these things to help bring about salvation. The image that they use is the image of of uh, marriage. Is the that's the, their favorite. Uh, so as as the man and the woman are united in marriage and become one flesh, so they would look at it that way, kind of uh, not becoming one flesh, obviously, but because they're saying there's no no flesh on the divine side, but they're um, but of two people sort of being kind of seen as practically one. So, but they, they would they would look at the in that verse they would look at it as the son of God. But but how is this all happening? Well, it's through the one. That he is indwelling. Okay. Um, okay. Then he summarizes here. This is because the whole this whole thing is starting over the term Theotokos. This is why the holy fathers called the holy virgin <coughs> the Theotokos. And Theotokos is a Greek word again. Theos is the word God from like theology. and Such, tokos it means to give birth. So the Theotokos is the person who gave birth to God. So the question was. Uh, so traditionally, they were saying that Mary was the one who gave birth to God, and and what he wants to say is that Nestorius wanted was to say, well, that it's giving birth to Christ, not to God, because <coughs> the Son of God is not the person being born. Okay, that's and there's some well, some quotes on that. Okay, all right, well let's just go to the next one. And these uh, the, right below that on your sheet you'll see uh, things says Nestorius. And these are some quotations from his writings. And <coughs> Nestorius writes back uh, in a kind of very condescending way to Cyril as if he's just a very uh, ignorant person, doesn't understand theology very well. And I would just recommend, this is um, this is a book we went through in, in class uh, earlier, but for those who haven't seen it, St. Cyril Alexandria and the Christological Controversy is excellent book and one of the things it has in the back is um, about a third of the book, uh, 150 pages of it, is, is translations of Cyril's letters which are mostly not available uh, in English so you can you can read his stuff. The other major source for this uh, period we're talking about is this is the <coughs> last, uh, I think it's the 12th volume of the Nicene Fathers. This is the volume on the councils, and it has selections, uh, it has a couple of Cyril letters in there, Nestorius letter, and uh, some of the cons- conciliar documents we're going to talk about. <coughs> okay, from, the, from his letter to Cyril, for the Logos whom you first called impassable, and not in need of a second birth, you later introduced as passable and recently born as if the natural properties of God the logos were removed by his conjunction with the temple and that's this is actually a key passage because um, Nestorius had sort of accused him of being apollinarian and you know not really understanding the difference between divinity and humanity and mixing them up and so Cyril had written back and said well I understand you know the divine nature is not divinity is not born the divinity is not suffering and and then but then he's saying well but the lo- as you just read the Logos is suffering the Logos is born and so Nestorius says well you started out okay saying that you didn't think the divine nature uh, suffered or needed to be born in time but then you contradicted yourself you said that the Logos the son of God is born and, and suffered and it's what you, he's saying he makes actually a very correct observation <clears throat> as if the natural properties of God, the Logos, were removed by his conjunction with the temple. So for Nestorius, <clears throat> the Logos is always bound by his divinity. So he's joined up to this man, Jesus, but he he can't escape from his own divinity. And so divinity's divinity's bodiless. Divinity can't suffer. Divinity can't get tired. And so therefore the logos the son of god never can experience any of these things and so what s- he looks at Cyril and says well you're you're acting as if his you know all these properties of his divine nature were somehow dissolved by being joined up with this human person and to a certain extent um, well he's incorrect in the sense that Cyril is not or, and we are not saying that the divine nature ceases to have divine properties but we, but he is correct in the sense that we're saying that the divine person is not limited to his divine nature that he's that he's not trapped in divinity that he's he was able to be divine and to exist in in our nature at the same time without destroying his divine nature but but in some ways, surpassing the limits of what divinity was able to do through through the human nature. Does that is that clear? What mm-hmm. a-
1: what is it about Aristotelian uh, philosophy that
0: that uh, ties nature's and person
1: hypotheses to, uh, together?
0: Okay. Well, because <coughs> the hypothesis is the is where the because nature is a theoretical thing. Right? so you say so where does the so where does the nature exist it exists only in a hypothesis mm, okay. so therefore and it's interesting that uh, a lot of these guys were uh, in fact Aristotelian philosophers and so they're uh, learned people who were explaining as in the middle ages later with the scholastics I mean explaining Christian theology through uh, this educated way of thinking but the problem we always have when we uh, try to use philosophy is we have to be careful not to distort uh, the message because the the original Christian message is something that's beyond human logic i mean it's a it's something we receive from God uh, whether we understand it or not, and then we try to explain it because we like to be able to explain things to people so we don't seem crazy but but we have to but then when we do that, we have to be careful that our explanations don't contradict Uh, the reality of the actual experience of God
1: so as opposed to platonic philosophy which can think of divine ideas or or natures or whatever as being abstracted from their instantiations or whatever in, Mm -hmm.
0: in in the real world right? well yes perhaps of course even there they have I guess the idea of the logo air or something, you know, they, but I, yeah, I suppose in a way that, fli- fli- it is different because, yeah. Reality is in the concrete, it's in
1: this world, and, and we abstract, you know, ideas from reality as opposed to reality being somewhere else and, and these things being just sort of imperfect.
0: Yeah, that that probably may have something to do with why, uh, depending on which philosophy you are using as your base, you might have more troubles with some things rather than others. Yeah, so um okay. Let's see. So so we're so we're exactly uh in a sense partly uh, anyway, agreeing with, with Nestorius' observation saying, but yes, that's that's the point that actually that the Son of God uh is taking an action to essentially surpass the limits of his of his divinity. Okay, then Nestorius writes here, Christ's <coughs> chapter seven <coughs> Christ's birth and sufferings are not passed down to us as if they applied to the divinity, but to the humanity. And that's so far so good. Thus the Holy Virgin should be called Christotokos, not Theotokos. Obviously, God the Logos was not the son of David. So <coughs> that's where he goes wrong, because it's, in a sense he's correct in saying that, yes, we say that the suffering is something that Christ experiences through the human nature, not through the divine nature. But to, but to Nestorius... And, to the, and his successors down to today, um, that divine nature is totally uh, equivalent to the divine person. So therefore, if I say the divine nature can't suffer, I'm saying the same thing as that the divine person can't suffer. So therefore, I can't say that the Son of God is born of the Virgin Mary. I have to say that Christ is born of the Virgin Mary. And even that, it's because Christ is the combination of the... The two, the Son of Man and Son of God, obviously, and then obviously, God the Logos is not the Son of David. Therefore, there's right there. So the Son of David is Jesus, um, and that's a different person for him than God the Logos, and that's why it's uh, again to us not a, not a Christian.
1: Would they perceive? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Would they perceive it then? Perhaps like Elijah and Elisha were. Elisha was the prophet, and he took on as a man. But he took on the mantle yes. of God. Yes, that Elijah gave him.
0: Well, yes. I mean, this is I the criticism that um, that the we have made is that there's not you know what Nestorius and and his school of thought are doing is they're they're in a sense making uh, Christ and Jesus into a prophet, and they try to contradict and say, well, actually, though, but the indwelling of the of God in Jesus is much more perfect than in a prophet, that the prophets were, that was, you know, they were um, that was kind of a partial indwelling not a complete, and but uh, to us, you know, that is that's the whole problem with it, is it doesn't it, it, it you know, it's it's really uh, well, just by having another person, I mean who is this other person? I mean, is he just is some great prophet, or what exactly is he? He's not, you he's, he's have to come you have to do something with him and so they, you know, make him an honored person, and uh, but but still, you're having to introduce someone other than, than the Son of God into this. Okay, um, okay, To attribute to the divinity the properties of the flesh that is associated with it. This is, again, his criticism of Cyril. Birth, suffering, and death. Is either the error of paganism, or from a, sick, a spirit sick with the madness of Apollinaris and Arius. For this notion must say that the incarnation results in God the Logos nursing, growing, fearing the passion needing help from an angel not to mention circumcision, sacrifice, sweating, hunger all these things if they are attributed to divinity are merely lies. So in a sense (coughs) you see here he kind of goes back and forth between talking about the nature so right we don't attribute them to divinity so we agree with him there but then because he says they're not; these things don't fit in with the divine nature. He says so we, we can't imagine the logos doing any of this. But that's exactly what we have to uh, say, say: is that yes, so who's nursing? Well, the, the logos was nursing through the human nature, but he's mm-hmm. he's the one doing it, and that's what Historius uh, you know, c- can't accept. Um, in the next one, Quaternion 16: I worship the one who submitted to death along with the deity. And it's just uh, showing again this idea of so he's of kind of honoring this person who's cooperating with with God. Then for it was not God Himself who was fashioned with a mother within a mother, nor God who was buried in a tomb, but since God was the was in the one assumed, the assumed man was conjoined to the one who assumed him. Thus he is called God alongside of him. So this again, this basically is just what we're saying that it's. Not the, it's not the son of God doing any of this, but he's he's kind of t- connected to him, so he's sort of uh, in a way vicariously participating in all these things. And then at the Council of Nicaea, this is what um, you know, because originally he had a lot of uh, bishops supporting him from the east, but he made some statements there. So ultimately, all the bishops ended up condemning him in, in the end. Uh, and one of the things he said was, "It's not possible to call the baby Jesus God," <coughs> so. It's in also I think one of his letters, but um, so, well, so at Christmas, you know, the birth of whom then, uh, if if it's if it's not the Son of God being born, so this is, uh, this is what when you know in a sense he, uh, kind of persisted, you know, in this sort of philosophical idea of his that to to uh, realize the other bishops all realized that this was, uh, you know, not just that he was being persecuted or something, but that really. Uh, his ideas were were contradictory to the central tradition of Christianity. Uh, the next uh, one down is the Cyril's uh, response to a third letter is responding to Nestorius and there's um, a third letter has a lot in it and then at the end it has these 12 anathemas which were some of and some Cyril that's interesting is that uh, you know of the two uh, Nestorius is definitely, the more consistent and probably learned uh, philosopher, you know, his he uses terminology always very exactly. Cyril was not always clear on on what how he was going to describe all this. I mean, what's what's clear? In, Cyril is clear about the main idea that you know the Son of God is the is our Savior. That's the one who's doing this. How to explain it is something he kind of uses terms that we don't. Uh, you know, are not always clear what he's saying, but we, and so you'll see in here that sometimes the phrases that he uses are not phrases that we always use, but, but he's trying to, uh, kind of with whatever means he can come up with to defend his main point. So in, in these um, these anathemas, I just put, picked a few of them. So his first one, mainly, and these were the in order to, what he wanted was he wanted <coughs> Nestorius to agree to these. Twelve statements of which I've only given you a few, so don't count them and say they're not twelve. Uh, of to you know, basically, two, which would reject uh, this error of the two-person Christology. So the first is that Mary is the Theotokos, that it's that the person born of Mary is the Son of God. That is okay. Then he uses this term, the term that uh, the hypostatically, the Logos is hypostatically united with the flesh. That is. With the, the human, he's united to humanity in his person, in his, in his hypostasis. So there's one, one hypostasis here, not two. The one real, one person uh, in in Christ. Okay, he rejects Christ as a conjunction of hypostases, which is what uh, still is the Nestorian position, that each uh, each nature has its own hypostasis, its own person, and that these two persons are then joined together. Under something else, and he uses a phrase called the natural union, which is not a phrase we use, but it was so it because the term nature can mean humanity or divinity, so it, it allowed Nestorius to accuse him of uh, confusing the human and divine natures by because he used this phrase, but actually uh, that's not what he means, as you could see from his writings. But what he's talking about is he means a real union, uh, uh, an actual union, not not a not just uh, an, an, a union of appearance. Okay, and he rejected the dividing up of the uh, actions in the Gospels as between two hypostases and persons. Now, uh, as we'll see later, when Leo we look at Leo's writing, he divides the actions up between the huma- humanity and the divinity, saying, well, certain actions are appropriate to the divine nature and certain actions appropriate to the human nature. And Mr. and Cyril. Accepts comes to accept that uh, as a possibility, but he's what he's objecting to is that when you are dividing it up as if between two people, that as if uh, the Son of God is not the, is not the actor for some. In other words, the Son of God is doing some of the things in the gospel, but not other things that Christ is doing, and that's what he uh, was rejecting here. And this phrase, uh, the God-bearing man, that describe describe. Christ as a God-bearing man whereas uh, later orthodox writers will refer to him as the man-bearing God and so that's uh, I guess the question of who is he well is he a man who somehow aspired or you know attained to to divinity or is he God who is condescending to come down and take on our humanity and that's what the the phrase the man-bearing God is, is better um Okay, then let's see. I guess I There's these last um, eleven and twelve. I just want to look at okay. And the eleven, it's it's a summary of a section in his in his letter, which refers to the Eucharist, and it's a very beautiful chapter uh, seven, in the letter. But it's so I had to kind of put that in. But this is what it is saying: if anyone does not confess the life-giving flesh of the Lord, in you know when we in the service. Um, to be that of the logos of God the Father himself but rather as if it were of some other person joined to him by worthiness or only as having a divine indwelling let him be anathema so when we go to church and we receive the body and blood of Christ whose body and blood are you receiving it's not the body and blood of a person who uh, was joined up with the Son of God but it is the body and blood of the Son of God himself that's what they saying if anyone does not confess that the Logos of God suffered in the flesh and tasted of death in the flesh and became the firstborn from the dead just as he is life and life-giving as God let him be anathema. And that's that. Uh, the 12th anathema that uh, strangely because to us it seems very obvious probably that uh, who's, who died on the cross well that it had to be, but to uh, the people at the time this was um, the one that Nestorius' uh, friends were kind of the Considered the most scandalous was that you know how could you ascribe death to the divine to the son of to the son of God because how can the son of God who's eternal die well in his divine nature of course he doesn't die the divinity divine nature doesn't die but but he's experienced death through through taking on our humanity okay now this. Um, actually the council itself I've sort of left it out (laughs) because at the council of Ephesus uh, everybody sort of supported most people supported Cyril and then there were some who supported um, Nestorius but then at the end um, there was a kind of uh, meeting of the two sides and they ended up uh, condemning Nestorius so it was not uh, they didn't really in a sense the theology was not the part that was supporting Nestorius was not supporting him on, was not supporting his theology, but was in fact just uh, criticizing Cyril for having condemned him in a, what seemed to them an irregular way. Yes?
1: Can you explain what you mean by the firstborn from the dead?
0: Okay. Um, well, the, the resurrection, I suppose, uh, here in, in that chapter, that's what Cyril means, actually. By it. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the um, well, because Christ rising from the dead is the one who brings about the uh, the resurrection ultimately for all of us. So, uh, of course, you'd say, well, well, Enoch came back from the dead, and uh, you know Lazarus. But uh, that that phrase that is in the Bible. It refers to Christ as the beginning of the final resurrection, the overcoming of death. That's why. Okay. That, so after the after the. The uh, council there was you know some uh, let's say disagreement kind of uh, unhappiness between the people, uh, the bishops around Antioch who had been uh, friends with Nestorius and uh, the rest of the bishops who supported Cyril and so there was a a correspondence between Cyril and John of Antioch, the patriarch of Antioch to try to reach a common uh, statement because there was Nestorius had kept accusing Cyril of being an Apollinarian, of, of basically saying, of, of destroying Christ's humanity, that in a way saying that somehow the humanity did not survive. And so Cyril wants to satisfy the other bishops that, well, he does in fact believe in Christ's humanity, um, you know, pres- being preserved. But he, uh, so he, anyway, he comes up with this, this statement, which was a letter that they both agreed to. And it's called sometimes the formula of union in uh, 433. Okay, we confess our Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, perfect God and perfect man, of a rational soul and body, born before the ages according to divinity, and in these last days for us and our salvation from the Virgin Mary according to his humanity. He is homoousius with the Father according to divinity, and homoousius with us according to humanity. For there was a union of two feces on account of which we confess one Christ, one Son, one Lord. Okay, so um, you saw again this idea of the two births emphasizing the, you know, one person doing both things. But then he introduces um, this phrase homousius, which is a Greek phrase from the Council of Nicaea. Uh, We sometimes translate it consubstantial. It means um, homo of the same Usia uh, is the essence. So in the, the uh, in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all of one divine essence. So that's what we often say, three persons, one essence. Comes from that. And so he's using that phrase here to say that that Christ, through the incarnation, the Son of God, is still homoousios with the Father in the Trinity, but he now also, at the same time homoousius with us because so his humanity is the same as our humanity that it's of the same nature as, as we are. And then he uses, introduces this other Greek word feces uh, which uh, becomes very it's controversial because in Greek it has several meanings. Uh, it can mean a kind of concrete reality and this is uh, earlier Cyril had liked to use it in that sense. That the united Christ was a single thesis, a single thing. Okay, the Christ is one, but it also can have the sense of a nature in a set out of parallel with essence. So, it was. uh, So when he said that, the Nestorius would use that to accuse him of denying the humanity of Christ, or denying, you know, that in the other case that his divinity was preserved, or somehow that somehow they're being mixed together. So he, so the. the Eastern bishops preferred to speak about two theses in Christ, that both the divinity, as meaning it as we would say, use the term nature, the divine nature and the human nature. Uh, this was not Cyril's original terminology, but he, uh, again, it's a nice thing about uh, Cyril, and, and and this whole discussion of, of Christology is where the Church has to, to some extent, there's a, a realization that the terms themselves are not what's important here. But that the that what's important is the reality of who is Christ, and we can use different terms um, to to mean the same thing, as long as we But the important is what what do we mean? What is what is the reality that we're trying to express? And so here he adopts <coughs> the 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 phrase used by the Eastern bishops, but but you know, kind of uh, qualifies it saying a union of two natures on account of which we confess one Christ, one Son, one Lord. Because he doesn't want to get into, you know, he doesn't want to give an excuse to Nestorianism, to basically going back to saying there are two uh, two persons. So you can say there are two theses, but only in, in the sense of two essences, not in the sense of two Christs. And then he adds, uh, we confess that the Holy Virgin is the Theotokos because... God the logos became incarnate and was made man and from this conception united himself to the temple taken from her so the um and he's actually even using the sense of the temple but in this case the temple is the humanity not a separate person that's um and so but the person be, so the person being born through that humanity is still has to be uh, described as god Uh, Cyril, after the um, the council, there you know continued to be some debate about the issue of Christology, and Cyril was writing on on both sides, uh, trying to defend uh, the decision of the council and also to uh, prevent people from going off into heretical things. And uh, his later, we'll get to the Council of Chalcedon uh, and the some of the letters that Cyril wrote between the two councils were very significant in defining the decisions of the Council of Chalcedon. So uh, I'll just, uh, I think there's just, yeah, there's just one here I'll give you from the letter to Sykensis. And he uh, is defending the use of, because some people's question, well, how can you accept this idea of two feces in Christ, two natures in Christ? But well, particularly because nature in our, in English to us nature means much more clearly uh, essence. Let's say whereas in because in Greek the problem with thesis is it was it was uh, ambiguous word, so it's hard to understand why they were um, unhappy about it. But that's but that's but that's why. Okay. So then he says, theoretically speaking, only as appears to the eyes of the soul concerning the manner of the incarnation of the only begotten. We say that two feces were united, but there's only one Christ, Son and Lord, the Logos of God, made man and incarnate. So he's defending this use of this term, but saying that but it's a, this is a theoretical. We're not introducing a separate person in here. And then he gives a, a, an example, and, and we need to contrast this. The Nestorian uh, image analogy for, for the incarnation is the analogy of marriage. And he's now Cyril's going to give us an opposite uh, analogy, a picture. We can take as our example the synthesis which makes us men. For we are composed of body and soul, and we see two natures, one of the body and another of the soul. But there is one man from the union of both. And this is uh, becomes, for the Orthodox fathers, this becomes the, the classic image of who, of Christ, that the two natures, so as we are one person in uh, body and soul, that the body the body and soul we don't have a bodily man and a soul uh, and a solely man that are somehow coexisting in us, but rather there's really only one person here. Um, we could talk about the the conflict uh, in Saint Paul, the conflict of the f- man. You know, we have conflict with our passions and as, as the flesh, but we're not talking about um, as if we're really two separate people, but although sometimes the you know the images, uh, but but this so anyway this becomes so it's a kind of sense of uh, that the the two natures are kind of organically connected in a single person. Okay, so this was fine. Cyril dies, and um, it seems like everything is clear, but there are still sort of friends of Nestorius around, and they. Um, Kind of attacking and and one of the uh, friends of Cyril, you know, decides to kind of attack back. And he, in in doing this, he kind of he goes too far. Is uh, a, a priest named Eutyches, and he he argues that the human nature ceases to exist after the incarnation. So that he wants to say that after the incarnation, we can really only call Christ one oneousis. One one nature because the hum- because humanity becomes absorbed into the divinity, and uh, well, of course, this is heretical, and everybody pretty much agrees with that, except that at the time, the um, followers of Cyril, some of them thought that uh, this, you know, that well, because Eutyches becomes condemned, and for for this, which obviously he would be, but people saw in this a attack on Cyril. Partly because um, Theodoret of Cyrus, who was one of Nestorius' friends, was part of the attack, and so uh, you know, personal people see uh, personal issues involved, and they uh, anyway they att- they they had a council which becomes known as the robber council, at which uh, the the bishops who had defrocked Eutyches were condemned, but then. In 451, the, uh, a new council is held called the Council of Chalcedon, which very famous council that becomes, in fact, a sort of turning point in church history. Uh, deposes the bishops who had who had uh, attacked the one Flavian who had conde- who had defrocked his priest uh, Eutyches, and then try to set up a new uh, formula for Christology that will now codify everything so that everyone will know what we're supposed to believe about who is Christ. And, they, and there's a letter that comes from, uh, which actually came a little earlier, from, the, from Pope Leo called the Tome. And they, are, and they were uh, asked to include this letter, you know, th- items from this letter into the <coughs> final formula so that everyone will be happy with it. And the result is that uh, You know, we often we ended up with a long uh, battle afterwards because not everybody was happy. But um, part of it, you know, has to do with the ambiguity of Leo's letter itself, and part of it has to do with the fact that Leo is writing in Latin. And in Latin, the word natura, which our word nature, is a very clear, you know, it only really has one meaning. Just means like essence. So when we're talking about the human nature, we know what we're talking about. the trouble was when you're taking Leo's terminology and trying to turn it over into the Greek term phusis. Remember, that's this controversial uh, nature of the word as to what does it mean really. So um, let's look at this. Uh, there and and so in this letter, the letter uh, you f- you'll find it in the uh, Nicene Fathers uh, documents for the Council of Chalcedon. It's a really um, you know a very nice letter. It's very beautiful. But there are certain phrases that he uses that bothered people, uh, particularly in the East. But let's, let's start. Uh, Therefore the properties of both natures and substances have come together in one pe- person and are preserved. So he's answering the main problem that Eudice is saying. Well, no, that humanity is preserved and divinity is preserved. So that Christ Jesus might be from one element capable of dying and from another incapable. The creator and lord of of everything willed to be among mortals for without defect each nature retains its property so this is very balanced uh, because for him the person again the person doing this is the creator of and lord of everything so that's the subject and he's arguing for the though the preservation of each nature that humanity is preserved without any defect That um, so answering you know the criticisms from the East that, that uh, from the Antiochian bishops that this was not being uh, preserved uh, the son of God descending from his seat in heaven enters this lower world because he who in his own sphere is invisible became visible in ours the impassable God did not disdain to be passable man and the immortal one to be subjected to the laws of death so that's you know that again it's it's the impassable God who is becoming passable so that's exactly correct now this is where it's a little uh, questionable um, for each form does the acts which belong to it in communion with the other the word performing what belongs to the word and the flesh carrying out what belongs to the flesh one of them shines with miracles and the other succumbs to injuries it does not belong to the same nature to be transfixed with nails and to open the gates of paradise. Now, let's go based on what's above, where he's clearly seeing the Son of God here as the person doing all this, you could say, well, that's okay, there's two different natures and each nature has its properties and so on. But his choice of wording is, is a little odd because he talks about not the divine nature doing divine things, but He's talking about the word, and the word, in particularly in uh, Cyril's writings, refers specifically to the second person of the Trinity. So we have the second person of the Trinity doing things, and then we have the flesh doing other things. And um, to Easterners, you know, who have been going through this battle with Nestorius, you know, this sounded too much like, like Nestorius. You see that? Well, we're talking as if. We're talking as if the Word is only is only acting through the divine nature. He's not acting through the human nature. And so, um, while we can say that, you know, looking at, at Leo's whole letter, we can see that's probably not what he means. But he probably means is that the divine person is acting in both divine nature and human human nature. Uh, when the when the people in the East, um, who were very uh, afraid of a resurgence of Nestorianism saw this uh, they were unhappy with it and this is why the Council of Chalcedon became a, a matter of it was not accepted by a large part of the eastern church and still today uh, the Coptic church the Armenian church and the Jacobite church do not accept the Council of Chalcedon pretty much because of that passage in the letter of Leo that's the, that's the, the major thing And then, just the last uh, part of it. Accordingly, on account of this unity of person, which is to be understood as existing in both the natures, we read, The Son of Man came down from heaven, and the Son of God is said to have been crucified, that the properties of the divine and human nature might be acknowledged to remain in him without causing a division. So we can use different phrases because... um, the, the, the actions of divinity and humanity are pertaining to the same person. Is what he's meaning there? Okay. We are actually at six o'clock already, so um, I'm going to have to stop here for next week. But uh, do you have any questions? Just a minute or so. Anything? I was yeah.
1: wondering. Um, I'm trying to make a link in my head, and I'm not sure if it's there. But you're speaking of Christ's kind of. Two births,
0: right? Yes.
1: And um, there's a verse about us being bore, born again. Yes, they're kind of a link between Christ.
0: Two two births? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, there's not. Um, that's not the same thing. We're talking about um, the in, the eternal, you know, begetting of the of the son from the father, and uh, then the second birth for Christ is his birth into the into the human nature through Mary. Uh, through us that 's I mean, I guess you could say okay we 're born humanly and then but we 're not actually becoming part of the Trinity <laughs> <laughs> our second birth is a is a birth of faith in that we 're being joined to christ um so it's it 's not no not exactly the same, but I guess you could, you know, maybe poetically somehow <laughs> yeah. Any, well, perhaps yes i 'm sure some. Some poet, whatever. Uh, any other questions?
1: So, does divinity suffer, or is it only?
0: Well, the div- g- g- the divine person, the Son of God, did suffer, but not in his, not through his divine nature, but through our nature, which he took on. It's a mystery. Okay. Well, of course, it is a uh, mystery. Yeah. Any other? Yes. Um. Uh,
1: did did, uh, did Pope Leo? Rome ever uh, correct or respond to the criticism of that
0: phrase and therefore try to clarify that um, well th- that was the big problem is that um, no <laughs> they didn't <laughs> not not really and that's why uh, Leo he didn't really understand too much what was going on in the East so he felt that the people who agreed with him must be you know correct and the people who were questioning him, know perhaps were were heretics and so he never uh, he never really wanted to he just sort of felt like they should just accept his statement and and see the problem is the friends of Nestorius were the the most enthusiastic at uh, accepting it, which of course made it look bad for the people who were friends of Cyril. And so when the friends of Cyril, you know said, well, I don't know, this doesn't look very good. Well, then they sort of thought. Well, he thought. Well, you must be some kind of Eutychian or something. You know, that's why you don't like it. And uh, so, it's why it took a while. And, and um, that's what we'll talk about next week is how this process, eventually, um, yes, some of the uh, popes did accept, uh, fra- you know, clarifications. Basically, that that's why. That's why not just because of Pope, but I mean, in a sense, the Church as a whole um, clarified. Uh, Chalcedon you know clarified the tome and, and Chalcedon and that's why a, a lot of the Monophysites came back into the church but uh, but initially because uh, that first uh, period where the friends of Nestorius you know were kind of in the ascendancy, not they I mean they all had to agree that basically they never no they never backed down on the fact that Nestorius and his kind of very clear, Two-person Christology was heretical. They never, in that sense, um, the whole church, you know, kind of moved forward in the sense that they recognized that that was just impossible. So Theodoret, you know, in in a way, he um, he comes, even though he doesn't like Cyril, but he comes to accept, you know, the basic points that Cyril's making. But there's, um, you know, there's still a little animosity back there, and that's a what's strange is that uh, you know that nestorianism survived and you know got into uh, the church of persia and you know still survives till today and uh, kind of a shock to see it but it's it's still around any questions other do you have questions